Well, good morning. My name is Neil Chotai, pastor of Church Life, and it's great to see all of you here uh, today joining us for our service this morning. So we are diving into, back into the Gospel of Mark. Now, right after Bible college, after I graduated, I actually moved to England and joined a church there uh, for part of my life. And uh, it was a quite unique church. It was uh, really, really uh, interesting to see a multicultural church in the area that it was situated in. So in November, October, November, um, we all went on a church-wide missions trip. And over there in Britain, the uh, schooling calendar is very different. So all the school, ch- school, school children had a week off in October, November. So we as a church, around 600 people, uh, decided that we would help a sister church in the northwest corner of France. Uh, it's called the Brittany region in a city called Quimpere. And that area was very, um, let's just say, really nominal Christianity. Um, Christianity was kind of like a way of life, uh, a lot of Catholicism, but people weren't in really in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we decided to come alongside this church, partner with this church, and just to be there in the hands and feet of Jesus over there in Kampere. So we took a whole bus load. There was a, uh, kids with us. There were seniors with us. And we, and we went to the coastline. We took the ferry across the English Channel. We landed in a place called La Havre and then moved over all the way to this, where this church was in Kampere. It was a great time. I mean, we were able to help them, even though there was a language barrier, we, were help them, we helped them with their outreach, we helped them with their kids programming and the outreach, and we saw a lot of people become Christ followers in those outreaches that that church had. So we were there to help this sister church, evangelical church in France, and just to be there for their community. Well, a week passed, really amazing stuff that was happening, it was time to go back. So we went back on the coach, and then we went to the coastline in Le Havre and going across the English Channel. And while we were actually going on the ferry, halfway through, the captain announces that, you know, in about 30 minutes or an hour, we're going to have some rough seas. I'm like, okay. So what do you do, right? You're on the ferry, middle of the English Channel. What are you going to do? Well, the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the ferry would be lost. The ferry would be lost. So this is how it looked like. We are in the ferry. On this side, we see the sky. It is dark. And on this side, we see the waves lapping on the deck. Then immediately we see the dark clouds in the sky on this side, and we see water coming on the deck. And it was going like this. I'm getting seasick just thinking about it. So I, fearless man I am, I ran to the middle of the ship, okay, they opened up the seating area where they had these seats and they looked like uh, airplane seats, but there was a whole section and and I'm like, I'm just going to sit here because I don't want to be on both sides of the extreme, you know, up and down. So so I was there. And then a bunch of uh, the other people that was part of the mission trip, they came and they said, you know what, we've had such a great week. Why don't we just pray? Pray that this would stop. We saw God do amazing things. Let's pray. And I'm like, I just graduated Bible college. I'm thinking, sure, let's do this, you know. So you guys can pray more than me. We'll see where your faith is. Um, So then, then, you know, we started praying and praying and praying. And no word of a lie. Do you know what happened? No word of a lie. Nothing happened. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There was still wind. There were still waves. And sometimes when we are in the storms of life, 
Sometimes we need to go through the storm to get to the other side. That is life for everybody. Whether you are a follower of Christ or not, that is life. So today we're looking at an account of scripture. This is the second incident where the disciples are in a boat and the seas are very rough. So this is the second one. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Mark 6, 45 to 56. I'd like for all of us to stand as we read the scripture this morning. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, and after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. You may be seated. So as you're looking at the book of Mark today, um, my message is simply entitled, and for those who like grammar and stuff, I apologize in advance, because none of these are real sentences. So, title is, I am the disciples, the storm. Now, before we dive into the passage of Scripture, we need to find the context. Whenever you look at Scripture, context is very, very important. We have to know why it was written, when it was written, and and what's the context of everything that is taking place. So we need to find out what happened prior to this biblical account of this storm taking place. So before this, we have the miracle of Jesus who fed the 5,000. So there was 5,000, scripture says, plus women and children. So Jesus is kind of at the apex of his ministry. People are coming. They were hungry and uh, spiritually, but they were hungry physically as well. Little kid had some bread and fish, multiplied Jesus, multiplied it by praying. People were fed. And there is this group of people. Some people believe, scholars believe that it could have been up to 15,000 people that were fed that day. Now, as all of this is happening and the multiplication of the bread happened and the fish, um, we need to understand what the atmosphere was like at that point. So it doesn't really say in the book of Mark, but other gospels that write about this, it gives us the atmosphere. There was this frenzy that was taking place. And these people are saying, you know, scripture has told us about this guy that would come and, and he would free us from bondage. Could this be the man? Could this be the one that's going to free us from our bondage and create a messianic kingdom on earth? Could it be this person? 
So when we look into the book of John chapter 16, it describes the frenzy. And, and here are people there saying, surely this is the prophet who came to the world. Let's make him king by force. Because if we make him king, then we can kick, kick, kick out King Herod. And then we can go after Caesar and we can be in control. So Jesus is realizing what is happening. This is a mob mentality. And this is not the way Jesus is meant to be proclaimed king. The vision and mission of Jesus is totally different. Not to go against physical kingdoms, but the kingdom of darkness, which is something totally different. So as this is taking place, Jesus does something very peculiar and something interesting. And love the book of Mark because it uses the word immediately quite a number of times. And when we look at verse 45, it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples go into a boat to go out ahead of him to Bethsaida on the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd. See, he was afraid that the disciples were going to have this mentality as well to proclaim him as king because we're around Jesus all the time. Let's just do this. He's trying to protect his disciples. This is not the time for people to know who Jesus really is. So it's kind of like a parent. When a parent tries to you know, take their child and move them a certain way, you know, when my kids were younger, uh, we would go down to the basement, this unfinished basement, and we have an easel there. So a uh, kid's easel, and on one side there's chalkboard, and, and then we also have a dry erase markers everywhere and dry erase board, and we want them to be creative. But on the other side, there's, um, there's also paint, so they can have a paint station. And I take my son down when he was younger, and he's like, Daddy, paint? I'm like, I don't want to clean up after you, right? So I, then I take him physically, bring him upstairs, go and play Lego in your room, which is far safer, especially for my feet, because you have all stepped on Lego, and it's not fun. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's taking his disciples and, you know, moving them into a place that's a little bit better. You know what? Go into the boat. Then it says, Jesus dismissed the crowd. It doesn't say how he did it, but somehow he takes that atmosphere, calms it down, and then he dismisses the people. He dismisses them. And then it says that Jesus, he went up to the mountainside to pray. Jesus needed to pray to God. He needed to have this communication with God the Father. And there are three occasions in which Jesus goes and he prays to the Father. Sorry, to the Father. I'm going to highlight this a little bit better. Maybe you can see it better. Three instances. The first time was before he called the disciples. Then, the last time was in the garden before his death. This is the second time during this storm biblical account that we are looking at today. So some theologians believe that the reason why he went to pray was that uh, he was praying for his disciples. And, and just the, the effect of this fame is growing and he doesn't want his disciples to be affected by that. Another reason is that he's becoming so popular that the Pharisees, religious leaders that are against him, are looking at his ministry and he needs to pray to the Father to get the strength from God to deal with the Pharisees and what is about to come. So later that night... The boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. So here we see a separation take place between Jesus and the disciples. So the disciples are in the boat, and Jesus, he is on the land. And there is a storm that is about to come, and it's brewing. 
And in our life, we have storms. You know, there are three types of people here. One, a person who's going into a storm, another person who's in a storm, another person you're leaving the storm. Storms are a matter of our life. Now this, be, this brings us to our big idea. Jesus comforts us in three ways when we are in the storms of life. The first way he comforts us, Jesus watches over us. Now, the time of the storm is evening. Uh, he has already fed the 5,000 individuals, the people plus women and children, and the disciples, they are in the middle of the lake. The lake of Sea of Galilee is about four miles wide. If there's a nice sun, moon out, he can see where they are. And Jesus, is, just imagine, he's on the mountaintop praying, and he can see the disciples that are in the boat. Well, something happens. The storm brews, starts coming up, and then he saw the disciples he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And this straining means, means it was painful. It was full of torment. And this same word, straining, or, or in, in the Greek, is similar to Mark 5, 7, where it talks about a demon possession. It talks about torment of childbirth in the book of Revelation. It talks about hell and the torment of Revelation 14, 10. So it's a picture of great suffering of the disciples in the boat. They're doing what Jesus told them to do. They're in the boat, they're trying to get to the other side. And it's interesting, when the disciples are separated from Jesus, things don't go too well for them, right? This is the second instance in which we have a storm that has come. So sometimes when storms in life come, we believe it's a decision that we have made and the consequences of that decision. But there are times that we have to go through the storm, and we are led to go into the storm by God. I don't know why. For some unknown reason, there are times when we are led to go into the storm to get to the other side, to build the character in us. I don't know, but things like that happen. Now, as all of this is happening, and as Jesus is watching, yes, he's at a distance, a proximity to them, but he sees what is happening. When we are in the storms of life, God is not watching kind of like a Netflix binging upon us, and he doesn't care, but he's watching us as things are happening. You know, on Fridays are my day off. Um, so my wife works on Fridays, so I look after our youngest. Uh, he's four years old. And some people say, oh, you're babysitting. No, I'm not babysitting. I'm watching after my child, watching over him. So he's four years old, and he's doing more things by himself. So I'm watching over him. I'm seeing what he does. He's being interactive. He's learning. If there's some danger, I'm going to be there to protect him. He's watch, uh, Jesus watches over us like a parent watches over a child that cares for them. So Jesus watches over us when we are in situations like this. Now, there's a beautiful thing that Mark writes here. And it says, shortly after dawn, he went out to them. And this is interesting, he was walking on the lake, that's interesting. But this part here, he was about to pass by them. Now, pass by them, it doesn't refer to, let's say you're at the mall or, or your grocery store, and then the person beside you, there, you know, all their bags, you know, just rip apart, and all the food's down there, and then you're like, you see them, but you know, you should help them, but no, you're gonna pass them by and go into your car. Okay, it's not that kind of passing by. It's a total different passing by. And this is rich in context and in meaning. And it is absolutely wonderful. This is exactly 
what God did in the Old Testament with Moses. It's the same language hundreds of years before this part of scripture. Moses was constantly in these storms. If he wasn't in a storm with Pharaoh, he was in a storm with the people of Israel who were complaining all the time. Now we have no food. Now we have no water. Wish we were back in Egypt. You know, all the time, all these storms. And Moses goes to God at times, and he's there, and he's praying, and he's, and he's with God. He says, God, all of this storm, this is, this is crazy, God. And I just need to see you, God. I'm so desperate to be with you. God, will you reveal yourself to me? Exodus 33, 19. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on those who I am mercy, and I will compassion on whom I will have compassion. The Lord says to Moses, Moses, you cannot see me face to face, because if you did, you would surely die. You would surely die if you saw my glory. So this is what, beautifully what God does. God takes Moses and he puts him in the rock and he puts his hand over him. This is absolutely wonderful. And this is what happens in Exodus 22. God says, when you see my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Meaning, you're gonna see me in a different way, Moses. He puts him beautifully in the cleft of the rock puts him there, and then he walks by, and Moses sees where God has been, because God watches over us. He doesn't just pass by us, but his presence is there with us. It is absolutely wonderful that this wording is the way God spoke to and revealed his glory many times. He did this with Elijah in 1 Kings, and because he has done it with the prophets, and he does it with the disciples, God's glory is with the people of God right now as well. We who are followers of Christ. And again, I just want to emphasize this. Pass by. God will constantly pass by us with his glory. What God had done for Moses, what he does for the disciples, he will do with us. And as we go into verse 49 and 50. But when they saw him walking... On the wall lake, they thought he was a ghost. They were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. What is this happening? And for them, the ghost, the word ghost refers to a demon. They thought Jesus was a demon. What is going on here? Because there was this superstition that when the waters were moving and churning a certain time, the demons were going to come. And yes, they would have had experience with the demonic because Jesus cast demons out of people during his ministry and the disciples were there. But it was no demon. It was no ghost. It was Jesus. And here is a beautiful thing that takes place. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Okay? They cried out. When we cry out, God is there for us, and he listens to us at all times. See, this fear is there, but we do not have to fear because God watches over us. And because he was walking on the water, they should have remembered what they learned in school, in Hebrew school. 
They would have learned that in the book of Job. It says, he alone, which is God, stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Disciples do not have to fear, but they should know that they are being watched over by God. As God watches over them, God watches over us in the storm. The second way God comforts us, Jesus comforts us, is that Jesus is with us in the storm. He is with us in the storm. Now, last week we talked about Easter and, and we talked about the gospel message, which we talk about in the church all the time. We talk about how God gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. And, his, and our sins were all upon him. And he died so we could have a relationship with God himself and the great resurrection. And what happens to a person who accepts Jesus Christ in life? Immediately the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, enters the individual. Now, this is intentional. Now, think about this. God could have chosen that his presence to be in a building. He could have chose to be in a tree. He could have chose to be in a rock. But what does God intentionally do? He puts his very presence in every single believer, flesh and blood, not brick and mortar. God lives within us, and he is with us at all times times. He will never leave us, for we are the ones who accepted the call to be in a relationship with him. And I absolutely love this next verse that we are looking at. Again, Mark says, immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, don't be afraid. The best part of this is, is the middle part. He says, it is I. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And as soon as Jesus is in hearing range of his disciples, he says this phrase. In this section here, if you have your Bibles with you, put an asterisk around it, circle it, highlight it, whatever you want to do. This is an important part. Because when you look at the original language that the New Testament was written in, which was Greek, the word I refers to something called ego eimi. I know this because I took Greek and Hebrew in Bible college, so trust me. Okay, the word is ego eimi, which roughly translates to this, I, I am. In the English, we make it easy flowing language. In the, in the New Testament, we say I am. But it's really I, I am. There's an emphasis here. Jesus doesn't have a stutter. He's making a point. He's saying I, I am. In the book of John, when you look at the I am statements of, in John, it's when Jesus says I am the resurrection, it's basically I I am the resurrection. I, I am the bread of life. So there's an, when he's saying it is I, he's saying, yes, it is I, I am. And there's so much importance to this because we need to go back to the Old Testament again. Everything is linked from Genesis to Revelation. Everything is linked. The beautiful story of redemption flows beautifully as a thread from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we go back to the Old Testament to the time of Moses, when Moses is called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And there's a great conversation that takes place. Beautiful conversation. You need to read that Exodus part. There's five times each one speaks. And Moses goes to God and asks him a legitimate question. He says this, God, if you want me to be the deliverer of the people of Israel, Pharaoh is going to ask me, which God has sent you? 
legitimate question because Egypt is a polytheistic society. Was it Ra? Was it Osiris? Who is this God? God says something absolutely wonderful in the Old Testament. In Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. This refers to ego eimi in the Greek. I, I am. And when Jesus says, it is I, in the storms that we are in, Jesus says, it is I. I am in the storm with you. That the God of this universe that created all of us, everything that we see, he is with us in the storms of life. His true nature is with us. And he will constantly be whatever storm we face. Going on back into the book of Mark. Then Jesus, he, he climbs back into the boat with them. The wind died down. They were completely amazed. Now this part, when Jesus comes into the boat, this is the same in the gospel account in, in the other gospels where, where Peter comes out and Peter says, Jesus, call me and I can walk on water with you. And Jesus says, come. And then Peter walks on the water. And then it's amazing. We have two people recorded in history that have walked on water. And some people really knock Peter down because Peter, he walked on water, but then he started sinking. But Peter had more guts than the other guys because the other 11 are safely in the boat. But this is the problem what Peter did. Peter saw the waves instead of fixing his eyes on Jesus Christ. He was not fixing his eyes on the one who is with him at all times, the I am, who God is. And scripture goes on and says, they were amazed. This is interesting what Mark writes. He says, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were completely hardened. Why were they amazed? Because they didn't understand the miracle that just took place hours before what Jesus did or any other thing that Jesus did. Jesus, there were miracles that Jesus performed. And their view of Jesus was this conqueror. But that was not what Jesus was. The Son of God came to bring reconciliation to humanity. They didn't understand who he was. And, but they were amazed at this point because now they realize there's something to this. You know, R.C. Sproul uh, has this quote, and, and I learned a new word this week. So I'm going to teach it to you. Hopefully I can say it right. R.C. Sproul says, when people fail to understand the identity of Christ, that's what the disciples did, okay? It is not because they are unintelligent. They were smart people. It's because their hearts are recalcitrant. You're probably saying, oh, I know that word. Anybody know that word? Oh, so I'm not the only one. This is good. I feel really good now. Now I feel really smart. Okay, it means uncooperative. It means uncooperative. Their hearts were actually made of stone because sin caused a callous over their own heart. Christ himself could walk on water, do all these miracles, but yet they did not realize who he really, really was. Until he comes to the boat and he interacts with them. In the book of Matthew, it, it reveals to us what actually took place as well, because Mark kind of condenses certain things. In the book of Matthew, it says that the disciples came to the point where they realized who Jesus was, and they said, truly, you are the Son of God. And we must remember that the Son of God, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, 
the spirit of God is within us, that we have a relationship with him and no storm is greater than him. So Jesus watches over us in the storm. Jesus is with us in the storm. And then lastly, Jesus, he leads us through the storm. Verse 53, when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, not at Bethsaida, but in Gennesaret, and they anchored there. In one of the other gospels, it says, it says that immediately, when Jesus got on the boat, immediately, they were on the other side. That's a miracle in and of itself. So the disciples are there. And as soon as they get there, verse 54 and 56, 55, people, people recognized who Jesus was. They ran throughout the whole region, carried the sick on the mats wherever they heard he was. He was popular and they knew that he could do something. See, these are people that are in their own storms. Disciples just got out of their storm. These are individuals who are facing storms in their life. And they come to Jesus. They have come from the villages, towns, and countryside to see him and begged him, please, please, can we touch the hem of your garment? Can we just touch the part of your clothing and get healed? And here we have the beautiful scene of Jesus with absolute, total compassion. Because these were individuals in their storm. See, as Jesus leads us through the storm, and he will, what is the response for those who have just left the storm? Our response is compassion for those who are in the storm. That if we claim to be a family of God here at West Park or in the church general, we need to be there for one another. Jesus leads us through the storm for a reason, to show compassion and to be there for one another as brothers and sisters in the faith of those who are going through storms. The storm that you're going through right now, that God is leading you through, will become, become a great story to tell another to testify of what God has done in your life to others who are in the storm. See, when we are in the storm, we think we need strength and hope and peace. Yeah, those are good things. Strength, hope, and peace. But we don't look for strength, hope, and peace. What do we do? We look to Jesus because Jesus is the one who gives strength. Jesus is the one who gives hope. And Jesus is the one who gives peace. Jesus is the one that is involved in all of these comforts. It is around him. And as followers of Christ, we need to put our, our minds on Jesus, fixing our eyes only on Jesus. Not on the things that he gives us, but on the person who he is. It's always about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything is about a relationship with God. In these three comforts, we have the commonalities. We have a storm, the storm, the storm. But the greatest commonality is Jesus in this. In our lives, every single moment of the day, we need to be intentional of bringing our life and focusing it on Jesus. Every single thing that we do, every single time that we wake up, every single time that we go to bed, it is all centered around Jesus, around the gospel, and what he has done for us because he is the one that helps us in the storms that we are in. As I mentioned before, there are three types of people in this room, one that are going into the storm, one that are in the storm, and one that are coming out of the storm. Know that Jesus is the only thing that is the common factor here that will help you and that will comfort you. 
You guys know me for a number of years now, around eight. Okay, I'm going to ask for some latitude here. Okay, I think you can trust me. I'm going to ask everybody right now to close their eyes in this place. Nobody looking around, just close your eyes. For those of you who are in a storm right now, don't listen to the wind. Don't look at the waves. But fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on him. I'm sure there are stories that here that are horrible. But fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. He is the one that will give you hope. He is the one that will give you strength. He is the one that will give you peace. It is only Jesus. Concentrate on him. I'm just going to take a quick silent moment here. I want you to reflect on Jesus Christ what he ultimately did for you on the cross and what he's doing for you right now. Don't look at the waves. Don't look and listen to the wind. Listen to him as he says, it is I, the great I am, the I am who I am the God of this universe that created all things resides in you, you who have chosen and accepted the call to be with Christ. Now for those of you who may not be followers of Jesus Christ, I'm gonna ask every eye closed and head bowed. Maybe this is your day, that God is calling you to be in a relationship. God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. He's calling unto you right now. And you may be wondering, how do I become a Christ follower? How do I become a Christian? This is what you do. You ask God to forgive you of your sins because sin is what separates you from God. And God is faithful and he is just to forgive you of your sins with his grace and mercy. Secondly, you believe Jesus is the only God. And lastly, you commit your life to Christ. If that is you in this room, I'm gonna say a prayer. I want you to repeat that prayer in your heart. I'll direct you in a few moments. God is calling you right now to be in a relationship with him. As our eyes are closed, head bowed, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what was written in the book of Mark. We thank you how it applies to to us today. And Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters who are going through storms right now. Lord God, may they just fix their eyes on Jesus Christ. May it be all Jesus-centric, may it be gospel-centric in their lives. Father, may they not look at the waves, may they not hear the wind, but may they hear the voice of God, may they hear your voice when you say, it is I. And you will be there, oh God, you are always there. You will never leave us. You are constantly there for every Christ follower, that nothing on this planet will take us away from your love and the relationship that you have called us into. We thank you for that, Jesus. Now, for those of you here, God is calling you. You're not a Christ follower yet, but God is calling you to be in a relationship. He's calling unto you right now to have this relationship with you. He loves you and he cares for you. He already knows you and he knows you by name. But do you know him? He's calling you right now. And if you want to become a Christ follower, today is the best day to do it. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Pray this prayer after me. 
silently in your heart. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for calling me into relationship with a loving, caring God. Jesus, I believe you are the only God, that there is no other, and I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.